Good morning. My name is Nick Sloan, and this is my wife, Rebecca. And we will be reading today's passage from the book of Luke, chapter 11, verses 14 through 28. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. When the demon left, the man who had been mute spoke. The crowd was amazed. But some of them said, by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, Any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined, and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. Now, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. But when someone stronger attacks and overpowers him and takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils, he who is not with me is against me. He who does not gather with me scatters. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. When it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. He replied, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning, church. It's good to see you this morning. Let me turn that off. Um, uh, if you're new, my name is Matt Ortiz, one of the pastors here, and, and it is our sincere desire that if you are new here, if this is your first Sunday, that you feel welcome here, that you feel like a part of the family, and if we haven't met yet, uh, it would be a favor to me if you would introduce yourself uh, to me afterwards. Um, just to kind of clue you in on, on how we usually do uh, the scheduling for the preaching and everything. Normally, we go through books of the Bible, uh, alternating between New Testament and Old Testament. And every now and then, uh, between those series, uh, we'll do what we call a church life series. And we'll, we, in a church life series, we'll address an issue or a topic uh, that the, the pastors believe um, that uh, is, is relevant and important uh, for the life of our, our church uh, in, in this season. So this, this particular Church Life series is titled, Prepare for, for Spiritual Battle. Um, often, we don't talk about spiritual battle because we don't want to sound weird. Um, even though we believe in God and angels, the, you know, the devil, but uh, for some reason, you talk about spiritual battles and people think you're weird. Uh, we're going to see what uh, the scriptures have to say about it because uh, we don't want to live in denial about it especially in this season because it seems like um, there are so many people in our church that have felt an increase in the intensity of, of spiritual battle. It is going on all the time, but lately it seems to be especially intense, and so we've been camping out on this particular topic. This is our fifth uh, sermon in this series. And I'll, I'll start with this. Um, Shannon and I are, my wife, 
we are watching a documentary series called Night on Earth. It's a Netflix documentary series. I don't know if any of you have seen that or not. Uh, This documentary series follows animals that are especially active during the night using state-of-the-art low-light camera technology. And it can be pitch black on the safari plains, but the night vision camera turns on and you can see a pride of lions kind of creeping up on unsuspecting antelope, right? And the antelope, they can't see the lions because they don't have their night vision goggles on. Not like these guys. These guys are fine. But without them, they can't see that they are being stalked by their enemy. And that one or more of them is about to die. And so humans and lions and antelope, we have different kinds of eyes. So therefore, we have, if you will, different kinds of lenses. And so for each, our understanding of reality, like, you know, safety or danger, it's going to be different. Now, each person here and around the world, each person looks at reality through different lenses. We all have different paradigms. Uh, We have different worldviews. And, and your lens is, is shaped by, by your parents and by your teachers and your friends or your church or, or your social groups, your experiences, your neighbors, society. Uh, all of it kind of shapes your lens through which you interpret reality. And it influences everything about you. It influences the way that that you treat people. It influences the way that you react to the news. It influences the way that you spend your time and and your money. It influences the way that, that you relate to God or not relate to God. It influences whether or not you see your enemy stalking you. In our scripture that we read this morning... We see people with a distorted view of reality, and therefore, their perception of Jesus is distorted. And so Jesus offers them a new lens with his teaching. He gives them a a new view of reality. And so what we will be addressing here this morning is, what is it that you see? What is it that you are able to see when you look through the lens of Jesus' teaching? Well, first, when you look through the lens of Jesus' teaching here, you see that there is a great battle raging between two kingdoms. Now, our text introduced us to a man who is mute. He can't talk. I, I cannot imagine... How frustrating that must be. He could not say to his wife, you are beautiful. I love you so much. He could not say to his children, "Uh, you are precious to me. I mean, you bring me so much joy. I I mean, he wouldn't even be able to express how frustrated he was. He had a physical problem that led to a social problem because it was even more difficult in that day to fully enter relationships with that kind of a condition. But Jesus here, he sees another problem, an additional problem. He saw a problem beneath the problem. 
Jesus saw that the man not only had a physical problem and a social problem, he also had a spiritual, a very real devastating spiritual problem. This particular man was possessed. Now, of course, this is not saying that people with physical limitations are possessed by demons. It just happens uh, to be the case in this one particular guy. So Jesus drives out the demon that made him mute. And then it says, the man who had been mute spoke. This man was healed spiritually. He was healed physically. That also led to healing socially. And what's weird is that no one in the crowd questioned the reality of the exorcism. They just said, they just kind of accepted it. The only question was by whose authority did Jesus drive out the demon? Some in the crowd said, it's by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that Jesus is driving out these demons. And if you don't know, Beelzebub's another name for Satan, and they're accusing Jesus of working with Satan. And this reveals their distorted view of reality. They're looking through the lens of, you know, ancient magic, and their view of reality leads them to reject Jesus. They could not see who he was. So Jesus responds to their accusation. He says, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. In other words, in a battle, if one side uses its power against itself, it's going to destroy itself. If I'm using the power of Satan to drive out demons, then Satan is fighting against himself? I mean, that makes no sense. And Jesus goes on to say, if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? Basically, what he's pointing out here is that your own exorcist will testify that I'm driving out demons by the power of God. And what Jesus, what we see Jesus doing here is that he's arguing with them. But he's not arguing with them just to win an argument, unlike most of us. When we argue, we just want to win. And we claim victory by making ourselves look good, making the other person look dumb. That's not Jesus. He's not just trying to win an argument. He's trying to win them. He knows the reality, their, their view of reality keeps them from believing in him. And in love, he's arguing with them so that they might see who he is and, and put their trust in him. Now, now, here's the truth. Every single one of us has a distorted view of reality to one degree or another. Our, our, our view of reality will not be crystal clear and, and totally pure and accurate until we're with God in, in glory, right? So until then, we all have, to a different degree, a different uh, distortion of, of reality. It just kind of goes with the territory. In fact, we don't even know what we don't know. The real issue is this. Has your view of reality prevented you of believing in Jesus? Now, you might say, I'm a Christian. I believe in Jesus. I've believed in him most of my life. But the truth is, if you fully believed in Jesus, fully trusted Jesus, then you would fully, completely, totally, perfectly obey Jesus. All right? So to some degree... Whenever we decide for ourselves what is right and wrong, we're not believing in Jesus and trusting Jesus. We've kind of set up ourselves to be our own God, to decide for ourselves what is right and, and wrong. 
So it's critical to, to be able to at least to have the, the humility to come to grips with in what areas of my heart and life am I not, am I not uh, believing in Jesus. And it has everything to do with your view of reality, your functional view of reality. Now, there are two common, um, two common views of reality, kind of broad categories in the world today, if I can be kind of overly simplistic. There's an Eastern religious view uh, that's been getting more popular for a while now. And in the Eastern religion view, it teaches, or at least you're trying to convince yourself, that there is no battle and that evil does not exist. This is the intellectual exercise or the spiritual exercise that is being cultivated. You know, I would just, I don't know if you saw the movie um, The Big Short with Christian Bale in it or not. But at the beginning, there's a quote that comes up on the screen. And the quote says, It ain't what you don't know that gets you into trouble. It's what you know for sure that just ain't so. God does not exist. Evil does not exist. There is no battle. And that's a dangerous place to be. The Eastern religious view says that if we were enlightened, we'd see that there is only good. Jesus doesn't share that view. Jesus was the most enlightened person who ever lived, and he wept over the evil and wept over the suffering in the world, and he was moved with compassion. It is absolutely critical for you and critical for the world that you see evil for what it is, that you see that there is an ongoing battle, that you're in the middle of it, and so is, so is everyone else. And it's especially critical that in light of that, you are moved with compassion. Because the other alternative, the other broad category worldview is the Western modern view. Yeah, evil exists. There is a battle. But we can use our own power, our physical power and education to beat that evil into submission and to conquer it. Now, people actually believe this, and there are a lot of people who still do. This view hit its peak in the early 1900s and began losing ground after World War I, which supposedly was supposed to be the war to end all wars. It wasn't. So today, many thoughtful people who've come to the realization that you can't overcome evil that way and have accepted that truth, they've become disillusioned because they see the battle can't help but feel hopeless. Other, but there are still others, even people who claim to be Christians, who are still in denial and still try to make this work. You still try to overcome evil with, with physical power. It, it, it doesn't work. And in fact, people who are in denial about that and are declaring you know, their, in, their intent to overcome evil with power, physical power in the flesh, the sooner they become disillusioned that it doesn't work, the sooner they will make progress, believe it or not. Now, I don't know what your, what your view is. 
Is your view distorting your view of Jesus? Does, it, does, does Jesus seem irrelevant to the battle that you're in? Are you, are you disillusioned or maybe you're in denial? I want you to pray. I want you to ask God to give you an accurate assessment of your view of reality and how it's making you function. If you look through the lens of Jesus, you see a great battle raging between two kingdoms, and it is raging out there because it's raging in here. Now, what else do we see? Second, we see that in that battle, you are hopeless. On your own, in that battle, you are hopeless. Jesus says we're like a house captured by the enemy. Verse 21, he says, when a strong man, when an evil strong man fully armed guards his own house, his possessions are safe. In battle, the advancing kingdom captures houses, and they drive out the residents, and they set up operations. The house now is under the enemy and the control and power, and, and it cannot deliver itself, right? Jesus says that in the battle between two kingdoms, the enemy, a strong man, a demon, ultimately Satan himself, captured this man's house, his, his body, and set up operations. This man was under the enemy's control, under the enemy's power, and it affected him physically and socially and spiritually. And how in the world is he going to be set free from the strong man? That overpowered him. Jesus says, in verse 22, the only way is when someone stronger attacks and overcomes the evil strong man, that he takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up his spoils. Only he can disarm the strong man and return the house or body of the man to its rightful owner. Okay, now, listen carefully. If you know your own heart at all, if you have any self-awareness at all, you know that evil has set up operations and is working relentlessly to manipulate you, to undermine your faith in God, for you to not functionally put your trust in, in Jesus. You know, there are things, I guarantee, if you are honest with yourself, there are things that go in, on inside of you and your heart that you hate, that you know is not right. The evil of jealousy or selfish anger or judgmentalism or impure thoughts or self-righteousness or hypocrisy or pride. And if you don't see that, most of the time we're blind to it in ourselves. If you don't see that, then the lens you are using to look at yourself has been demonically distorted. And the truth is you can't deliver yourself. And you know what's crazy? Is a lot of times even our best efforts can make things worse. Jesus says, when an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes seeking rest and does not find it. And then it says, I'll return to the house I left. And when it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. He says the house has been cleaned up. Everything is in order. But no one is residing in it. So what happens? Jesus says, 
Then the demon goes and takes seven other spirits more wicked than itself, and they go in and they live there, and the final condition of that man is worse than the first. Why? Because the house was left empty. It was swept clean and put in order, but it wasn't filled with someone strong enough to guard it and protect it, and so it gets filled with even greater darkness. So Jesus says, not only can we not deliver ourselves from evil, but a lot of times our best efforts can make things worse. So we break a bad habit, we kick an addiction, we drive out an evil, but then another addiction moves in. And if you know what I'm talking about, then you're ahead of everyone else who thinks that they're not addicted to anything. The craving for substance abuse or lust or money or power can easily be replaced with the prideful you know, craving for recognition or the craving for acceptance or the craving to prove how religiously awesome you are. And now you have a more deceptive addiction because now you think that you don't have a problem anymore. You're blind to it. You think you're okay. That's a dangerous place to be. You can't see the enemy creeping up on you. Your view of reality makes you believe it's all good. Jesus is reasoning with us here. His his goal is to clarify our view of reality. And, And this is more than just an intellectual argument. Jesus does not just want us to change our way of thinking. That's important. That's critical. But it cannot just end there. Jesus wants to deliver us from the kingdom of darkness, to give us victory over the kingdom of darkness. Jesus knows a great battle is raging between two kingdoms. And the battle is not over who wins the argument. The battle is for the very lives and souls of people. And the battle comes down to this issue, this one issue, and that is, who is Jesus? That's what it comes down to. Your view of reality can lead you to reject Jesus. Let me tell you something. Even good religious people who are good at being good, convince, can convince themselves that they don't really need Jesus and his grace and his forgiveness. And, and there are many Christians who believe, you know, why would I, or people who claim to be Christians, uh, why would I ask God for forgiveness? I just try to do better. Just leave God out of that picture. A lot of people have that attitude. In fact, everybody else needs to try to be more like me. Out of love for you, Jesus reasons with you so you can see the reality clearly and recognize who he is. That takes us to our last point. What do you see when you look through the lens of Jesus? First, a great battle is raging between two kingdoms. Second, in that battle we are helpless. But third, we see... The good news, that Jesus has come to fight for you. 
you know, throughout the book of Luke, Jesus, you know, casts out demons. All throughout the book of Luke. Of course, Luke records how Jesus healed people and how Jesus did miracles like calming the sea. But Luke especially emphasizes in his gospel Jesus' power over demons. And why is that? Well, because Jesus' power over demons best demonstrates the meaning of his mission. Yes, Jesus come to us as, it did come to us as creator who has power over the storms. He did come to us as a healer who heals our diseases. But Luke emphasizes that Jesus came to us as our warrior to do battle with evil and deliver you from the evil one. Jesus is showing us that he is the someone stronger. He is the someone stronger who attacks and overpowers the strong man. Jesus is on the offensive. Jesus drives the demons out. And he gives your house, your body back to you. And he doesn't just sweep it clean and leave it empty. No, he himself enters the house by his spirit and he guards you and guarantees that you will never ever be possessed by evil. How does Jesus ultimately and victoriously defeat evil? He goes head to head with the prince of darkness. Jesus marches up a hill called Calvary. And there on the cross, Jesus does battle with Satan. And Jesus looked Satan in the eye and he said, okay, this time you win. He was in complete control and he said to the evil one, Okay, this time I will let you win. And Jesus died. And Satan, in his naivete, danced and cheered. What's going on? Our warrior is invading the house. He's invading the stronghold of Satan. Jesus is on the offensive. Jesus is storming the gates of hell. The battle is not won until the enemy's stronghold is no longer a threat. Satan will always use his power for death and destruction. And and Satan knows that death is the just punishment for our sin. And he wants to use that to take you down with him. And so on the cross, Jesus took your sin upon himself. He took what we deserved, which was death and judgment. And and that's how he entered Satan's stronghold. And since Jesus is without sin, death could not hold him. On the third day, he rose from the dead, breaking Satan's power over death, so that death could not hold you because death could not hold Jesus. Jesus broke Satan's power as a warrior of peace and reconciliation. What that means is the moment you trust in Jesus, his victory over evil becomes yours. And you are immediately delivered from the kingdom of darkness and brought into the kingdom of God. And at that moment, the spirit of Christ resides in your heart, guaranteeing that you are God's possession forever. This right here is your reality. The lens through which you look at God and yourself, your neighbors, the world, and all of life. When you see this reality, a process of change begins because what happens 
is if you have the spirit of Christ within you, it enables you to more and more put off evil thoughts, put off evil attitudes, put off evil behaviors, including self-righteousness, and to more and more put on the very character of Christ. And you know what the spirit of Christ also does? It enables you to more and more be involved in advancing Jesus' kingdom of grace in the world. Not through the flesh, not through military power or manipulative politics, but by loving your neighbors with the love and the truth of Jesus, especially serving the poor and the needy and those who are so obviously oppressed by evil and evil systems. One day, King Jesus will return, amen? Finally, Satan and his army of demons will be cast into the abyss forever. Evil will be no more. All of the wrongs will be made all right. And we will finally be completely holy. And we will live in the world that our hearts long for. A new heavens and a new earth. Not floating around on some cloud. This is real. It's tangible and totally renewed. So the question is, how do you change? I'll close with this. Remember that to one degree or another, our views of reality are distorted, which leads to a distorted life. And if you're going to change, your view of reality needs to change. Some of you here may have written Jesus off completely, and you have not yet trusted Jesus as, as your warrior, right? Uh, but the truth is, um, if you have rejected Jesus, you haven't really seen Jesus. You've only seen a distortion of Jesus. So my encouragement to you is, is, is for you to pray, God, give me eyes to see Jesus for who he is. That, that is a prayer that God answers. And keep praying it until it becomes true. Jesus is a warrior of peace and reconciliation. And you'll continue to reject Jesus as long as you're looking through a distorted lens because your view of Jesus will be distorted. Those of you who are Christians, you know, we've been given a new lens, but we have bad habits of looking through our old distorted lens and live lives of distorted religiosity or inconsistent with our faith. How do you, so for both of you, how do you, both of us, how do we change the lens? Ultimately, we need to trust Jesus to do it for us. And how is that? Well, he points us in the right direction in verse 27. When a woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. And Jesus says, no, it's not based on who your parents are or who you're related to. That blessing doesn't work that way. But he says in verse 28, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. He's not saying that you're saved from evil by obedience. It's, but if you hear the word of God, if you see the truth of Jesus, of who he is and what he has done, that he can be trusted and, 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 and that he proved it by living for you and dying 
for you and being victorious over evil and the grave through his resurrection, as you focus on Jesus through his word, he changes your lens for you. And you can tell if you have heard the word. You could tell if he has given you a new lens because you find yourself trusting him. You find yourself wanting to obey him and fighting for that. And, and, and you realize that sin is constantly trying to kill you, and so you need to be on the offense and, and constantly be killing sin that is in your, your heart. There's, you can only have confidence if your faith and trust is in King Jesus, who is our warrior who won the battle for you. You'll want to love him more, be more loyal to him, obey him more, follow him. That's proof that you've heard the word. And it says, when Jesus returns, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. This is your hope. This is what changes your life. This is what changes the world. This is what changes everything. Amen? Would you please bow your heads with me?